We are in the conclusion of our sermon series, uh, You Be the Judge, and uh, we're going to uh, finish with um, a passage where Jesus is judge, where he sits in that role. And let's see how he does that and uh, maybe what it means for you and me. I'm going to be in uh, John 8, beginning in verse 2. And let me just say, if you have a Bible with you, bring it out, open it up. John 8, beginning at verse 2. Um, if you have it on your phone, that's fine too. If you don't have a Bible app on your phone, go to lwinfo.org and select, is it sermon you select, Eric? Yes, select sermon and um, there will be the scripture there. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. And said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I noticed when reading that scripture in the first service that uh, I'm so familiar with, with the uh, sort of older language of the scripture that, that I, I, I stumbled across reading that. I had to read it carefully again in this service um, because I want to say, go and sin no more, you know, the, the way that that old English uh, um, version of it is, or ye without sin, cast the first stone, or something like that. Uh, sometimes I think it's helpful to look at a different translation that, that maybe uh, um, we, we look at and go, ooh, that's not said the way I'm used to. What does that mean for us? We're going to go back through that scripture uh, here in a little bit. But before we do, I wanted to talk about um, the sermon series we've done. Because I said at the very beginning of this series, You Be the Judge, I said that it's important to be a part of all four sermons. And you can get to those if you want, livingwordumc.org, uh, click on media, and then you go to the sermons. And you can listen to all the sermons if you want to go back if you missed one. Um, so in our first sermon, uh, we used a scripture, we, we called it Jurisdiction, that was the name of the sermon, and we used a scripture uh, from 1 Corinthians. And in that story, um, uh, Paul, the great apostle Paul, um, who wrote many of the books of the Bible, Paul is writing a letter to a church in a town called Corinth. And there they have a church, he's writing it to the church in Corinth, and there they have a church, and there's some members of the church that are flaunting their sinfulness. This one in particular is sleeping with his stepmother and flaunting that, just public about it, in church and outside of church, I assume, just, hey, I do what I want, I'm saved, I'll do whatever I want now. 
And Paul is writing to them, and, and, and um, where I get this idea of jurisdiction, jurisdiction is when you judge, you have the authority and responsibility to judge. That gives you jurisdiction, right? If it's within your authority and responsibility, you're allowed to judge. And here's what Paul says about our jurisdiction as we judge others. Paul says, who am I to judge those outside the church? Let God judge those outside the church. Let's stop there. What Paul is saying is you don't have jurisdiction to overlay your Christian faith on people that aren't trying to live as Christians. How many times has, has the church said, that's not very Christian, and the outside world says, we're not trying. That wasn't our goal. And turn that around when they look at us and say, yeah, that's not Christian either. Hypocrite. And we're guilty of it. Paul says, God's responsible for the people that aren't inside the church. And then he says, you judge the ones on the inside. He gives us jurisdiction to judge one another within the Christian faith. Now, I said in my sermon, I said, you want to be careful that you don't just hear that. Because if you stop there, if that was the only sermon you heard, you missed the whole point of the rest of it. Because it's not all about how we judge one another. It's about what we do when we judge one another. What's the follow through on that? And so the next week, um, uh, I, I wanted you to um, have a sense that when we judge one another, there is a heavy weight on our shoulders. Uh, we we uh, titled that sermon, The Weight of Being a Judge. And, and, and we use that scripture, uh, not so much about weight, but that scripture that, that says, how is it that you, you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you miss the whole log? And then it goes on to say, you know, the measure you use, this is Jesus' words, the measure you use to judge another is the measure you'll be judged by. And so we want to hear every time we have a sense that we are being judgmental, that we are judging other people, we want to have a sense that that heavy hand of God is upon our shoulders saying, look, you want to judge in this way? Fair game. I'll judge you the same way. There should be a heaviness, a weight, a, 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 a strong sense of this is important what we're doing. This is heavy what we're doing. And then last week, Greg preached. And Greg talked about restoration. That yes, we are called to judge. We are called to judge so that we can point out to people where they are off the path. Where they have gone wrong in their life. And, and nurture them back into a, a, a saving relationship with God. That's best done, as Greg pointed out, when, when we have a, um, an accountability relationship. If you come up to me out of the blue and say, Dave, let me tell you everything you're doing wrong, and by the way, I've heard that before. Usually only once a week, but... Um, if you come up to me and say that, and I have not granted you jurisdiction over my faith, I have trouble hearing it. But if you and I are in a group together, a small group together, and I'm saying to you, look, I'm going to try to live my faith as faithfully as, as, as I possibly can. I want you to help me see my blind spots. I want you to help me see those places where I'm not living the faith appropriately. If, we are, if I have given you that responsibility to hold me accountable... And usually it works both ways, right? Then 
When I hear you say, Dave, you're off the path, I hear it as you're seeking to restore me out of love to a saving relationship with God. I don't hear it as, and shame on you. So that was restoration. Today, our sermon is, uh, neither do I condemn you. And those are the words of Jesus Christ. And I want to go through this. Um, I, I'm, I actually have it later in the sermon, but let me just say right now, I think that um, what happens in the conclusion of this, uh, um, this scripture is, is maybe the most beautiful relationship Jesus offers another human being. It, I think it's marvelous. Uh, um, and I, I, um, I, I stumbled upon this idea, and so check me if you think I'm wrong. That's that accountability. So, verse 2 of chapter 8. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. He's in church, right? That's what the temple is. That was their church. Um, and as you read temple, whenever you read temple in the Bible, this is going to be important for a little bit later in the sermon, but as you read temple in the Bible, understand this. They had a really large building, and that wasn't all of the temple. Let's say the building was as big as this, and I, don't, I, don't, I haven't taken measurements to see exactly where, where it was, but let's say the, in, the inside part of the building was as big as this room, um, but outside... What they called the temple was this whole huge area. I've been there, and I know it's been renovated and destroyed and whatever over the last 2,000 years. But I'll tell you, on the temple grounds that I saw, I think you could play five or six simultaneous football games with stands. It's that big. So there's this huge area that they call temple. Some of that area, the, uh, um, the Gentiles, the non-Jews were allowed to come in. Not all of it. Some of the area was, was restricted to them. But some of that area would have a, a, a large crowd of, of those who weren't Jewish, but were learning, were, were hearing. So, Jesus is there in the temple, in the church. And here's what it says about that. It says, all the people came to him and he sat down and began to teach them. Here's the first problem. All the people came to him. So here's what happened on the temple grounds. There would be teachers who would come to a particular spot, and they would, now teachers sat while everybody else stood. You want to practice that? Go ahead, stand. No, I'm kidding. Teachers sat while everybody else stood, and, and uh, I don't know if that was a hearing thing or what that was, but um, so, so Jesus sits down to teach, and all the people, did you read that? All the people came to Jesus. What does that mean? These other teachers that are all around, these other teachers that think, come on, I'm going to teach you, are watching the people they were teaching leave to go to Jesus. What do you think their judgmentalism was at that point? They had this sense of self-importance. These were Pharisees, these were priests, these were scribes, these were members of the Sanhedrin. These were people that, uh, in, in Jewish culture, these were the very important people. If you taught, you were important, and you felt that. You were self-important. And he wasn't, the guy over there that's teaching. He's not important. Look at me. 
I think one of the lessons for us in this is, is to recognize that sometimes our sense of self-importance or our sense of self-worth causes us to judge. We look at somebody and say, wait a minute, I'm important and you're not. Or, or from the other way, I recognize I'm not important. And so let me figure out how to judge you in a way that will bring you down. That sense of self-worth and self-importance sometimes causes us to use judgment. Remember I said in past weeks that the judgment is a gift. We're supposed to judge. It's a good thing to have judgment as a gift. Every choice you make is a judgment, right? It's a good thing, but when misused, like my self-importance versus yours. And then I let that get in the way of my relationship with you. And that's what's happening. This is the reason why these people who are these supposed teachers around and they see all of their students leaving, they're a little upset. Not too happy with that. The scribes and Pharisees, teachers, brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Okay. I don't know a lot, but I know it takes two to tango. They brought a woman caught in adultery. Probably not by herself. Where's the man in this? Immediately, you've got to see an issue. They have decided that the scales of justice, their judgment, is uneven. And they're fine with that. They're okay with that. They've judged. But now, So let's just create a scenario to try to understand this. We don't know exactly the situation. But the suggestion in this is that this woman might have been a prostitute. And, and part of the reason for that is Jesus is teaching, they think, how are we going to catch him? Um, what can we do real fast? Oh, there's that prostitute right down the street. Let's grab her. They already knew her. They knew who she was. They knew her lifestyle. They drag her out of bed, and they look at the guy and go, look, dude, you better get out of here. It's going to go south real fast. Or, or maybe they looked at him and said, Man, you're important in the community. You ought not be here. You disappear and we'll just ignore it. And they bring the woman to Jesus. They've allowed that their scales be uneven. In our judgment, our scales have to be even. We judge each other the same way. We judge each other equally. I got bad news for you. God judges you equal to everybody else. Hopefully that's good news, actually. Verse, uh, continuing in verse 3. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, they're going to instruct Jesus like he doesn't know. He wrote the law. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? What's your rules? What's your laws? Here's a, um, where they've conceded jurisdiction to Jesus. They've given him authority and responsibility to interpret the law to decide what is right for this woman. They've ceded jurisdiction to him. They've, they've said, teacher, which in their language means person with authority. Let us remind you, in case you've forgotten person with authority, <laughs> what the law is. And then let you tell us it's okay to take our rocks and throw them at her. 
This is a kangaroo court. They want to stone her with no due process. There's no jury. There's no evidence. There's no defense lawyer. How often does our, our own judgment jump to conclusions like that? Continuing on in verse 6. They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. There's a little bit of mystery here about this wrote with his finger on the ground. It doesn't give us the, the narrative of what he was writing. Most scholars agree that this is how this worked. Um, Jesus bent down while they're complaining about this woman caught in sin. They know the law. They know the, some of these people knew every single law by heart. And Jesus is writing in the ground. And probably what he's writing is a list of other sins. Maybe common, ordinary, everyday sins. Maybe sins that they could look at and go, all right, that's getting a little close. That's, that's a little close for comfort. They're looking at it going, yeah, I know, but, but, but. And so as he writes this, they're beginning to see possibly where they might be wrong with the law at the same time. Now, let me back up um, uh, in history, back to the time Jesus is a child, uh, about 13 years old. And um, you've probably heard this story. If you've been in church, you've heard this story. But let me just tell a really quick version of it. Jesus and his family live in Nazareth. It's, it's several days' walk from Nazareth down to Jerusalem. And they were going to Jerusalem for one of the holy days. And Mary and Joseph and all of their friends and neighbors and cousins from Jerusalem, head, I mean, from Nazareth, head down to Jerusalem. They get there. They have a good time. They celebrate whatever high holy a day it was. Um, perhaps... It was Jesus' bar mitzvah, which is the Jewish word for son of the law. Perhaps this was the day that, that Jesus is recognized by the community as an adult, just as we do confirmation, right? Um, however, like when we do confirmation, you're fully a, an adult in the faith, but you're still a kid in our eyes, right? So, they leave Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph and all the neighbors, they, they pack up and they leave Jerusalem and they get, they get going for a few days and Mary goes, hey Joseph, where's Jesus? And Joseph goes, hey Mary, where's Jesus? And they, they can't find him. They thought he was with a cousin or something and they, they, they say, where is he? Well, they go back to Jerusalem and search around and they finally find him in the temple having a conversation with some of the, the lead teachers in that day. One of them, as we know from Jewish uh, uh, writings, one of them was Rabbi Hillel. Okay? said a lot of good things, this Rabbi Hillel. One of the things he taught, so this is a guy, this is a guy from Jewish history that Jesus is listening to. One of the things he taught was don't judge your neighbor until you have been where they have been. Don't judge your neighbor until you have been where they have been. As Jesus writes the sins in the dirt, the people standing around, though Hillel has been dead for several years, they would have known this teaching. They would have 
possibly known how Jesus took that teaching and made it a little more spiritual by saying, by the same measure that you judge other people, God will measure you. Remember what I said about the heavy hand of God? And they're hearing Hillel in one ear, they're hearing Jesus in the other, they're looking at their own sins written on the ground. And they begin to think, uh-oh. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. He writes more. And these guys who had these rocks in their hands dropped the rocks. Beginning with the elders, I like that line. It's, it's the, the, the guys who are experienced, they're older, they understand, they, they get this, they've thought this through, they're the wisdom guys, they look at the dirt and go, I got gotcha. you, I'm backing up. And the, young, the younger ones who are, who are all ready to stone this woman, I got two rocks. <laughs> and they go, Where, where'd the old guys go? Gotta go. <laughs> they all walked away. And then Jesus says, and I, I want to tell you that, that sometimes I read translations and I go, oh man, they, they missed an opportunity here. Um, in the older version, uh, versions of, of translations of this, there's a difference between, as you look up there, um, uh, it says, has no one condemned you? Um, and then they use condemn in another, in another verse, the, the next verse, neither do I condemn you. Um, it's unfortunate that they use the same English word, but those are two different Greek words. And it's important to see the difference. So the one in this one, Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? In, in, in other translations, it says, where are your accusers? And it's important to read that because um, as the, so, so the book of John was written in Greek. And um, the, the Greek word for accuser would have been kategoros, something like that, close enough. Um, but Jesus was in the temple grounds. The language in the temple, the language of that big number of football fields area was Hebrew. When you taught, you taught in Hebrew. You didn't teach in Greek. You didn't teach in Aramaic, which was Jesus' original language. You, you taught in Hebrew. Hebrew was the language. Do you know what the word for accuser is in Hebrew? Chasatan. If you're listening careful, you just heard the Satan. That's where we get the word Satan, Satan. Jesus says, where's Satan? <laughs> the accusers. Where are the people lined up to accuse? And again, I think Jesus spiritualizes this. He, he takes this from, from a, uh, um, a moment in time and he says, let's talk about eternal things. What we understand as a, as a people of a Christian faith is that, that when we die and we get to heaven, there's an accuser who stands there. There's a prosecuting attorney who stands there and says, let me point to you, God, all the bad things they have done. Accuses us before God. Jesus says, where is Satan? Where are these ones who would accuse you 
find you guilty and sentence you to death. Where are they? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. The judge has the right to judge between right and wrong, to pass sentence, and then to assure that the sentence is executed. And Jesus chooses not to sentence this woman. I, th- I think you can be clear that he passed judgment. I think she's found guilty. But he's opted not to sentence her. Not to in a sentence that would have been appropriate. Her death would have been the appropriate sentence by the law. And he's opted out. Actually, he isn't even giving her a lesser sentence. He's offering grace. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Or when you don't get what you do deserve. He offers grace. By the law, she deserves death. Jesus knew that. He knew the law. But that's not what she gets. Jesus will not allow his judgments to get in the way of your relationship with him. Let me say that again. Jesus will not allow his judgments to get in the way of your relationship with him. He goes on to say, go your way and from now on do not sin. I think it's so easy for us to jump to that verse. To say, oh, this is the story about the prostitute. Don't do that anymore. Shame on you. And we engage in the shaming because Jesus shamed her. And I think that's a misinterpretation. Especially if you think about who Jesus is. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is the presence of God here on earth. We call him Emmanuel. God is with us. Jesus has the opportunity to condemn her. To to pass a judgment on her. And Jesus chooses not to. He says, I'm not going to banish you from me. I'm not going to disfigure you or put you to death. I'm going to offer grace instead. Why does Jesus offer grace to you, to me, to her? Why does Jesus choose to hang on the cross to die for our sinfulness? Why? So that Jesus can have a relationship with you, an ongoing relationship with you. That's the point. That's the reason. And then he says to her, now don't do it anymore. But but as he says that, he's not saying that as a further shame. Think of it this way. What has happened on the cross, what has happened with God's grace is God has said through Jesus Christ, I am not going to do anything, even when I judge you, I'm not going to do anything that will cause a divide between you and me. I'm not going to separate us. I'm not going to turn away from you. And now then when Jesus says, don't sin again, He's saying to her, he's not saying shame on you for being that type of person. He's saying to her, you know what? When you live your life in a way that walks away from me, you're separating us. 
Sin is the, the, that collective things that we do that put a separation between us and God. As a matter of fact, the, the word, um, I think it's in the Hebrew that, that you say to, to turn back to God, the repent, literally is, is like turning to the face of God. So sin is when we're turning away. We're saying, nah, I don't, just, just stay away. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to do, I'm going to go to the greatest length. I'm going to offer you perfect grace. Now, I've made sure I've done my part. It's your turn to do your part. It's your turn to be faithful. It's your turn to turn toward me. And I think that's just such a, a, a beautiful understanding of this relationship that Jesus offers that woman and the relationship that Jesus offers you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've been or where you've gone. I'm not going to do anything in my judgments that separates us. I'm only going to offer you grace. Now, can you turn back to me? Can, can, you, can you change the way that you're living so that you can turn back to me? So that you and I can be in relationship with one another? Now, as we think of our, ourselves as Christians, and, and, and the word Christian means little Christs, as we think of ourselves as people who are trying to be a little bit like Christ in our lives, I hope a lot, about, lot, a lot like Christ in our lives, how can you live that in your relationship with other people? Can you say to another, look, I, I see what you're doing and I don't think it's right, but I'll walk this walk with you. I'll go down this path with you and help you find a way that, that maybe is right in the eyes of God. And I'm not going to let your wrongs get in the way of our relationship. Now, next month, um, starting next week, uh, in our sermon series, um, we're going to talk about forgiveness. Seems like judgment ought to be followed by forgiveness, right? Um, and, and, and one of the things that we'll say in the midst of that is that, that there are boundaries in, in forgiveness. It's okay to set up a boundary in forgiveness, and, and we'll talk about that. Because when I say I'm not going to let anything you've done get in the way of our relationship with one another, um, there may be rules in the relationship, though. Because if you violated in some way that I need to put up a barrier to protect myself or to protect you, it's okay to offer forgiveness with a rule, with a, with a barrier, with a boundary that's safe. We'll talk about that in the next several weeks. So we'll spend four weeks next month uh, talking about um, how we live out forgiveness in our lives, both how we forgive others and how we receive forgiveness ourselves. And of course, how that works with one another and how that works with God. In the meantime, think about your judgments. How is it you judge others? How is it you call others uh, um, to accountability and walk with them, making sure that nothing that you've done in your judgment interferes with your relationship, just as Christ has done for you? Amen? And amen.